the people of the state of Tennessee are going to have to learn to stand flat-footed on those principles that we hold to be true. This pandemic has shown us that we can organize and we can get together and we can make a huge difference. Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Lewis, founder of the Tennessee Conservative. Today, I'm joined by Deputy Speaker of the Tennessee Senate, Janice Bowling, otherwise known as the Iron Lady of the Tennessee Senate. Uh, she represents Coffee, Franklin, Grundy, Marion, Sequatchie, Van Buren, and Warren counties. Janice serves as the second vice chair on Government Operations Committee and the chairs of the Joint Education, Health, and General Welfare Committee. Uh, she is a member of the Joint Commerce, Labor, Transportation, and Agriculture uh, and the Energy, Agricultural, and Natural Resources and Transportation and Safety Committees. That's a mouthful. She does not just uh, talk the talk, uh, as so many in the party do. Uh, however, she walks the walk for her constituents and conservatives in Tennessee. I'm glad to have you back on the program, Janice. Thank you for being here, and happy birthday coming up soon. Thank you so much, Brandon. I sincerely appreciate that, and I am looking forward to my birthday but I'm really looking forward to sharing with you today because some things are going on that I think the people will be interested in. And, uh, and we just need to make sure that, that we're getting the word out there to the people about what is going on and what we need their help on. Well, very good. Let's start with something that I was very excited about. Uh, and, and, you know, things have changed since we originally scheduled this because we had, we had difficulty getting our schedules together because you had crazy things going on in the Senate and I had crazy things going on at work. And so let's talk about Senate Bill 2471, states' rights, the 10th Amendment, and uh, why it's important for Tennessee to have a well-defined and, uh, you know, something, a premeditated nullification process. So for people that aren't as familiar with all of that terminology, break it down for them and then talk about what the bill does and maybe even some of the stuff that happened in the House. Okay, sure will. And Brandon, this bill is very simple when you really look at it. What it says is there would be a committee that would be formulated in, in both uh, houses, both chambers, and the Senate and the House, and that committee would be responsible for reviewing any legislation that it deemed to be unconstitutional. In other words, federal overreach. And, and then they would meet together and determine that and, and advise that the state should vote whether or not they were gonna abide by whatever that law was. Well, there was some discussion about it and there was a fiscal note that was put on it. And you know, those fiscal notes are oftentimes uh, ways of killing legislation that um, it, they're very subjective. Let's just put it that way. And so this one had a huge fiscal note. And then there were some other things that when you came up with whether or not you agreed with it, that legislation, you would take it to the attorney general and he would file a suit. Well, we worked on the bill. And we were working on it because we were getting so much pushback from the governor's office, the administration. And they said, that's nullification. And you know what happened? They tried nullification and it ended up in a war. And we said, no, this is constitutional. This is federalism. And nullification, uh, I'll just say a, a simple definition that was put out by some of the Supreme Court justices. When we talk about nullification happening today, we generally mean it in the practical sense to end the practical effect of a federal act. 
if the federal government involves itself in almost every aspect of life, but depends on state assistance to do almost everything, then the people in the states do not have to comply with the law that they think is federal overreach. And while state legislators do not approve federal measures directly, the federal government almost always depends on the state resources and personnel to carry them into effect. And by refusing to act, states have the power to defeat federal measures for all practical purposes. And Brandon, that doesn't require a court case. That doesn't require anything. That requires the state simply standing their ground and saying, we disagree with this. And then all the questions are the Department of Health. Oh, but it'll cost us money, cost us money. They'll take away our money. Well, sometimes, you know, your freedom's not for sale. So I think that should be foundational. But more importantly, too, <clears throat> the support from the Supreme Court in the United States in anti-commandeering, the strategy of non-cooperation has not only been approved effective, but it's repeatedly validated by the Supreme Court with multiple cases. And what they said is we can simply refuse to do that. And it is illegal for the federal government to withhold funds. So all of this, oh, we'll lose our Title X money if we tell parents that we're treating their children for, for uh, drug addiction or for sexual promiscuity or for whatever else, which the Department of Health is doing now. And I think that's egregious and unacceptable. And Terry Lynn Weaver and I had legislation to put that to a stop. And the department was able to kill our legislation. Uh, and it was exercising parental rights, which are common law rights. Parents have them by virtue of the fact God gave them to us. And our constitution, our government's supposed to protect us. So all of these things play into federalism and what we're gonna do. So to cut off the fiscal note, we determined that GovOps, which is already a committee, and I'm on the committee, Carrie Roberts is on the committee, uh, John Reagan from the House is on the committee. We could use GovOps as the committee that would then also give overview to any of these bills that we thought the federal government had done that were overreach. So no fiscal note. We're already there, we're already meeting, no big deal. And it's along the lines of what we do already. It's really a better fix. So we talked about that. And when we found out the more we studied about federalism and the ability to just not do it, <clears throat> we found out that we don't even have to have a legal quote unquote reason. We can say, because today is Wednesday and it's sunny right now, we're not gonna follow that law. It's as simple as that. And you know, people who want the federal government to be in charge of our lives and want the liberal policies coming down, oh, have an apoplexy fit there. But the fact is we, the people, and the people of the state of Tennessee are gonna to have to learn to stand flat-footed on those principles that we hold to be true and on our constitution, which does enumerate some of our powers and particularly the right of conscience is one of the rights protected by the Tennessee state constitution. And so if someone is pushing us, if the federal government is pushing us into giving vaccines to 13 year old girls that are very dangerous in and of themselves, but saying we're giving it to them to prevent them from getting cancer when they're 58, 
And oh, don't pay any attention to the fact that pap smears and other tests along the line can determine if in fact there's any cancer uh, present. And there are other things that people know now that can prevent those cancers. But giving a child that vaccine has proven to be very dangerous to a lot of young people. It has created sterility and it's created uh, autoimmune issues where I know one young lady whose life literally was ruined by, it brought on Crohn's. She ended up having to have very extensive surgery. She can't have children. She can't have a normal life. She's in constant pain uh, because her OBGYN doctor recommended that she take that shot. Uh, the, the drug companies are pushing them. And we found out enough about that through COVID, uh, how oftentimes our government seems to just be an agent that's pushing forward pharmaceuticals. And the people are done with it. The people are tired. And they found out that misinformation, disinformation took place. So right now, going back to your request, original question there about the Senate Bill 2471. I presented it and I was getting a lot of nods as well. And it was good, but I had been told by the House sponsor to, after I presented it, not to ask for a vote, but to ask that it be general subbed and we would bring it back next year, making sure that we didn't have any of the flack coming to us from the administration. Well, while I was doing that, he was presenting it in a House committee. And he began to look around and he was seeing a lot of positive feedback. He let it go for a vote and it passed. <laughs> and so, and I had already general subbed it before our, our paths crossed again. So we feel good about it next year. We're gonna get that done. And we have a simple path forward and we don't even have to involve the attorney general we will just be able to do that as the General Assembly, which is a joint meeting already. That, that GovOps bill is a joint, uh, that GovOps committee is a joint committee, and we're good to go. And I think it's high time we did it. I would love it if you would ask your viewers what they think about that and us resisting federal laws that we deem to be not one of the enumerated powers of the federal government. Well, I think they would be very much for it. And uh, we're going to do a legislative uh, priority survey and a few other things that are comprehensive. I'm going to put some real time and effort into. We did that on uh, legal immigration, social media censorship, and a few other issues this year just to try to bring the General Assembly, you know, two or 3,000 responses from primary voters just to get the feel of where they are. And one reason I think uh, a lot of Tennesseans wish you know, always you'll hear people kind of throw away this comment. They wish they could move to Florida because they saw Ron DeSantis and, and their yep. legislative body push back against the federal yeah. government, uh, really leading the way in so many ways. Uh, and when it comes to um, federal money, I mean, we we sold so many Tennesseans and their liberties down the river for federal money. Uh, That's right. Medical workers, federal employees that were also Tennessee <laughs> citizens. Um, and, and our schools, we put them in terrible situations because we yeah. have federal money and, uh, you know, the, the Tennessee and the administration needs to get off that federal teat because it, it, you can, you can take the milk, but there's a lot of consequences that come with the milk. There's a lot of side effects that come with the milk. And, uh, we need to maybe, maybe back off of that thing a little bit and become more self-sufficient. Well, and, and as I was saying earlier, though, when we delved into studying more about the federalism committee that we wanted to form, uh, let, me, let me just read a couple of things where it says 
the crux of the anti-commandeering doctrine is that the state has the right to direct its personnel and resources as it sees fit, and it can prohibit the enforcement of federal laws or the implementation of federal programs for any reason at all. And they cannot take away the money. It says the federal government is prohibited from coercing you to perform something that's against your conscience, if you will, uh, and then withholding that money. It, it's it's illegal, and we've allowed them to play that um, hold out the the carrot in front of you game forever, and it's wrong. And if we cite the Constitution and cite the SCOTUS laws and rulings on it every time we do it, just to ensure that people understand we have a right not to do that. Because the Department of Health, uh, they came to me and said, we cannot pass your bill. And I'm thinking, no, you, you can't because you're an administration. You're not part of the legislative party uh, body. And they were telling us, no, we can't allow you to pass this because it might cause us to lose Title X money when we are now treating children who are pregnant without parental knowledge or consent. We are treating children with, with uh, STD diseases without parental knowledge or consent. We are delivering babies. Now, I don't know how in the world that happens unless the child's in, in state custody at the time, but without parental knowledge or consent, that's unconscionable. Brandon, it's just unconscionable. Well, we had a couple of GOP senators um, sneak in a caption bill that we reported on here recently. And that those caption bills, I hope somebody brings up some legislation that, that those go the way of the dinosaur and that they are at least have 48 hours of public notice so that people can Absolutely. Because the, the description of what was in that caption bill was not what was in that caption bill. And I would dare say that the people who voted yes on that caption bill on the committees never read the thing in many cases. And, and if they did, I, 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 think, I think the primary voters would have a lot of questions about that. Let, let me share some good news along the line. Those two bills, and I don't have those numbers in front of me, but they were brought in. Health committee was opened just to hear those two bills. And those two bills were caption bills. And caption bills have a place occasionally when you're still working on the details of something, you can leave that caption bill until you have the amendment that, that makes the bill and you can bring that forward. So it comes forward when you go to present it. But what they've done this year that I've never noticed before, they've been putting forward a lot of caption bills and they do not ever even see the amendment until it's being presented in committee. So as you're saying, the general public has no idea it's coming. The other day, uh, Bob Ramsey from the House, who is chairman of a, of a health subcommittee over there, he was the House sponsor on both of these bills. And I know people remember his name because he's the man that wouldn't give a second to the committee when Todd Warner had uh, Dr. Malone, Dr. Pierre Corey, uh, and another Dr. Ryan Cole there to give testimony regarding COVID-19 and ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. And he, they had been told they could speak. When they got there, he said that we're not going to take any action on that legislation today, but we will allow them to speak. And then he said, I want a motion on the bill, which is action. And the lady that was supposed to have seconded the bill had left the room. 
And so nobody seconded it. He could have. Yes. So we had those doctors flown in to give testimony and were not even allowed to speak. Same Bob Ramsey. Okay, he was the house sponsor of these two bills. He's a dentist. Those bills were going to allow doctors and dentists to give the HPV vaccine to young girls as young as 13 without parental knowledge or consent. Two very controversial shots. It was carried in the house by Bill Powers and the other one was with the dentist and the other one was carried by uh, Richard Briggs. Well, I know a lot of people found out about those bills late, but buddy, I wanna tell you, it made a difference when people started emailing and calling the legislators. This morning, I spoke with the chairman of the committee and he said, Jan, our phones blew up. We've got to kill those bills. We weren't told that parents wouldn't have knowledge. Well, well you, because you they read, got reading yeah. is, is reading is fundamental. fundamental. Apparently, <laughs> the, apparently the kids in Tennessee schools can't do it and neither can the committees in many cases. Well, sometimes I think that's exactly correct. And so what had happened though, when they um, have had so many calls, uh, Senator Bill Powers from Clarksville yesterday told me, he said, Senator Bullen, I've sent that bill back to calendar. He said, I wasn't given all the information on that bill. And of course they didn't even see it to the last minute. So senators be warned, you better say, I'm sorry, I can't carry anything that I haven't had the opportunity to read every line and every dot and every tittle. So this morning, according to Senator Rusty Crow, they are going to find a way to kill both of those bills. And it's thanks to the people who called in and, and raised, you know what, about the very idea that the state would even consider another controversial vaccine with children under age and not give parental knowledge or consent. So the people have won round one, one on that. And we're gonna make sure up here that it those never get to the floor. Well, and I hope they, so. We'll, they, yeah, if one I'll, of them does get to the floor, we will fight it. Good. We'll talk about the, you know, it, it amazes me in that situation. You got a committee member that, that will let something like that go through and usher it through, but then a parent's bill of rights to right. snub the whole audience and not give them the taxpayers and the property owners and <clears> the <throat> constituents of Tennessee a chance to speak, but then making some money off of selling a pharmaceutical to kids yeah. without their parents' permission. Oh, I'm all about that. Let's do that to my own uh, betterment and, and to line my pocket is something else. Talk about taxpayer funded lobbying uh, in the General Assembly. Uh, how bad is it? Uh, what does it cause and how can Tennesseans expect anything to be done about it in this session because everything related to even transparency of how the taxpayer funded uh, uh, lobbyists are paid at our expense, that thing couldn't even get any legs underneath it. I mean, this is, is an embarrassment to transparency in government and separation of powers, <coughs> trying to give people the lay of the land if they don't know what's going on up in Nashville every day. Article 2, Section 1 of the Tennessee Constitution, the separation and division of powers. That is part of the oath we take to uphold that Constitution. I do not know how we've gotten to the point we are now. This year seems to be more egregious than ever. But you have a governor 
who is the executor branch, executive branch. He executes the laws that are made by the legislative branch. We are the House and the Senate. We write Tennessee laws. Then the adjudication of those laws comes to the judiciary branch. There has been such a blurring of the line because the executive branch, of course, has their executive legislative agenda and they have bills that they submit and they get a, a member in the House and in the Senate to carry them. I think that's terrible. I think that whatever the General Assembly brings forward, if the governor wants to support one of those publicly, that's well and good. All citizens can do that. But to say that their legislation gets priority over the legislation that those of us who have been elected to provide legislation to the state of Tennessee, uh, we get lost in the shuffle. And even worse, they do those bills, as you're saying, at taxpayer expense, because it's coming out of the executive branch, which gives it some aura of distinction, which it shouldn't. And then those bills seem to be a priority of the whole General Assembly, sucks all the oxygen out of the room, and oftentimes preempts and weakens maybe legislation that a legislator has been working on for a year that was brought to them by constituents, brought to them by businesses in their district. And we're working on those. And then here comes something that's on the same topic and it seems to have priority. And if it gets passed, then they say, we've already passed something about that. And when in fact, it didn't have the details that needed to be there. So that's a type of manipulation through the executive branch of the legislation, in my opinion. And to me, it's unconstitutional. And I think a lot of people agree with that. I think most people outside the General Assembly agree with that. But this year, what you also have is each it, it, uh, agency, the Department of Health, the Department of Environment and Conservation, the Department of Safety, the Department of Transportation, they all have a liaison that interfaces with us. But they, the liaisons really are messengers from the commissioner of that agency, the assistant commissioner. And so they're messengers. And like one of them came and gave me a message about one of my bills. And I looked him square in the eye and I said, I know you're just the messenger. And you brought me a message, but now let me give you a message to take back to your commissioner. And I gave him a real good message, Brandon. Um, but the point is, we cannot have that interference and we cannot have that attitude that they flag our bills. And that's what they call it. They flag our bills. They either defer on it, they have no opinion, or they flag it, which means, oh, you can't pass that bill. We will work against you. We will have a fiscal note put on it. We will you know, change your ability to get that passed. We'll hamper that ability. And this year, the parental rights bill that Terry Lynn Weave and I were carrying that, we had from the Department of Health, they said, you can't do that. We wouldn't be able to treat underage children anymore. Now, this is something you can't make up. One of their objections, we don't have to have parental right because we're getting money and we're taking care of these children. I said, it's already illegal for you to do that. 
That is a violation of Tennessee common law. That's a violation of parental authority in the state. Well, we're doing it. And if you pass that bill, it will take away the money we're using to do it. And on one of your bills, it takes away the 14-year-old mother who just had been treated illegally by the Department of Health. Now they're delivering her baby, but they said she has to let them know they can treat and take care of her baby when it's born. And if we don't let her give them the authority, they won't be able to do anything to help that baby. Brandon, can you make sense of that? I've heard of double-minded before, but the parent of the 14-year-old has no rights, but the 14-year-old has parental rights and they will not violate those parental rights to take care of the baby that they just delivered, even though the parent of the mother had no idea that they were delivering a baby. Well, uh, I think a lot of this boils yeah. down to, uh, is, is, and it, you can see it in education, you can see it in the Department of Health in so many places. I mean, so many things have become government job factories and money magnets. That's right. For vendors and employment and benefits instead That's of, right. look, nobody thinks, like in my business as a small business, I always think, am I serving my clients well? Are they happy? Am I giving good value? And most government agencies, and you can see it in the results of the Tennessee Department of Education and Health, yeah, uh, yeah. Their, their thought is, how can we secure more money for our agency? How can we get more benefits for our agency? How can we get our hands into more things? How can we control right. more things? It's never about the outcome of the client or the taxpayer. And we've got to get back to that sense of serving, the, in my opinion, in government, serving the taxpayer instead of special interest, corporate interest, PAC money, lobbyists, corporate lobbyists whether they're taxpayer funded lobbyists, whatever, whatever they are. Uh, we'll talk about how, you know, what happened with the bills that were proposed that would at least, uh, that would either end this taxpayer uh, lobbying uh, or at least make them accountable for the money that's expended. What, what happened there uh, this session? And then what do you think we might be able to accomplish in the next session? If there's any, there may not be any hope left for this session for accountability or transparency. Um, and, and, and I, I'm concerned that you might be, the last statement you just made might be correct. However, uh, the parental rights, it died in subcommittee for lack of a second. So these agencies have gotten to the members of that committee and told them you can't vote for that because it's gonna cost the state $7 million and 50 jobs in the Department of Health. That's egregious. I mean, that, but the mindset of some of the members of the General Assembly seems to be that they are not here to follow their oath of office, but rather to follow the dictates of these departments who are telling them, oh no, it's our philosophical opinion that you shouldn't do that. We think that we need to be deciding what's best for the children. That's straight from the pit of hell. I mean, it really is. Let me, let me take one second as I'm answering your question, <clears throat> but I wanna read just for folks that may or may not know. I'm reading the oath of office that all of us take. I, Janice Bowling, do solemnly swear that as a member of this, the 112th General Assembly of the state of Tennessee, I will faithfully support the constitution of the state and of the United States 
I do solemnly affirm that as a member of the General Assembly, I will in all appointments vote without favor, affection, partiality, or prejudice, that I will not propose or assent to any bill, vote, or resolution which shall appear to me to be injurious to the people, or consent to any act or thing whatever that shall have a tendency to lessen or abridge their rights and privileges as declared by the constitution of this state. So help me God. Is that pretty simple talk? It's simple talk, but you don't see it enacted very much up there. I think a lot of people, I think they may have that thing on a printed on the toilet paper in the restrooms there, if I'm not mistaken, in some committees. Oh, it, it, it does seem that there's disregard and, and, and the disassociation that oath has meaning and that oath has actionable consequences. And so when we take away and abridge rights of the people, we, we took an oath before God, we would not do that. There's an accountability that will come, but I hope we will start having it come sooner rather than later. Because in the meantime, uh, we had a bill, I have a bill that is Senate Joint Resolution 993. 993, would allow the people to vote as to whether or not they wanted a section added to the first uh, section of, um, of Amendment 1 of the Constitution of the State of Tennessee. And what it would say is the right of a person to refuse any medical procedure, treatment, injection, vaccine, or prophylactic shall not be questioned or interfered with in any manner. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged to any person in this state because of the exercise of the right under this section. So in other words, all of these mandates on something that would go into your body, that is a violation of your rights over your life, your limb, and your health. And that was understood prior to the last two years to be part of who we are as Tennesseans and Americans. Unfortunately, that was a bridge during the executive orders and special sessions, and a lot of things were trampled on in, in many ways. So we decided that this needed to become part of the Constitution, lest something else come up down the road and, and the same issue present itself, because people evidently didn't accept the fact that right of conscience is just that. If you don't believe that that is right for you, and, and you don't want to take that into your body, it's even according to actions, not just a medical implication, but for medicine, of course, it's an implication. So when that was trampled on earlier, we decided this would be good. It went through judiciary yesterday and it passed out seven two, seven negative recommendations and two positive recommendations. But since that is not the committee of, of oversight there, um, it's going now to help. I'm hoping and I'm praying and I'm working to make sure that this passes through health. My concern is the same health committee that just voted immediately for uh, doctors to be able to give HPV vaccines to 13 year olds without parental knowledge or consent will balk at this bill that simply allows that to go on a ballot so that the people of Tennessee can say, yes, that's important enough to me. I want that added 
to the Constitution of the state of Tennessee, or no, I don't think that's important, and vote against that being added. But it will be the people's vote because it's the people's constitution. So I, I pray that we can get that through committee. I hope it passes, but I'll tell you what, these yeah. committees up there, when you look at people, you know, when they raise 60, 70 percent of all their campaign funds from special interest and of that 60 or 70 percent, about 80 to 70 percent of that special interest money comes from the industries that benefit from Tennesseans having their rights taken away in that very committee. There's a huge conflict of interest from where the money comes from, and people get addicted to that PAC welfare, especially in the health committee, which is probably flushed with more money from special interest than any other committee. And it's very yeah. hard for them to do the right thing. You take a, you know, you spend enough time with Caesar, you're going to come back Roman. And uh, a lot of these people have spent a lot of time with Caesar. If you've listened this far, you're one of the true blue Republicans that care about what's going on in our state. So let me tell you, we are the only organization in the state of Tennessee that's doing this kind of reporting so that you actually know who's conservative and who isn't. So if you would go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com slash support, this has been the hardest damn thing I've ever had to raise money for. I've raised money for the Muscular Dystrophy Association, Baylor School, state and local candidates, federal candidates, my fraternity, church, you name it. This thing has been the hardest to get support for because there's no money in keeping people free. And there's there's a lot of money in taking people's rights away. So if you go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com slash support, if you give $50 or more or a $10 plus recurring donation, we will send you this. Don't California my Tennessee Tumblr. If you put uh, the convictions and the courage of the majority of these people on these committees up in Nashville in here, uh, which would amount to about this much conviction and courage only when it's politically expedient. And if you put it in here and you shook it up, it would swell all the way to the brim and perhaps even overflow uh, out of this because it has magical properties. We'll also send you a Don't California My Tennessee bumper sticker along with a Proud Tennessee Conservative bumper sticker. And you will get my heartfelt appreciation plus this directory of your state and local, uh, your state elected representatives in the House and the Senate. And I hope that, that thing changes. I hope that that thing really changes a lot between now and uh, the election because we need some we need some conservative legislators up there to quit lying on the campaign trail and to start doing things in committee. So please do go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com slash support and hit that support button. You'd be one of about three people to do it. Moving right along. So what are your thoughts? I've got two questions. You're going to think, I don't, want to, I don't want Brandon to have to interview me. He's going to, he's going to take me forever uh, to do one of these. So I'll be want to be respectful of your time. Uh, the next question I have, and you, you you tell me what you think about it. What are your thoughts about the size and scope of the governor's proposed budget uh, as a conservative, given the fuel prices, inflation, the economic uncertainty facing Tennesseans? I, I see he wants to give another half billion to another special interest of taxpayer dollars through bond issuance for people playing a game on a people playing a game. I don't even watch. Uh, we already gave a billion dollars for left-leaning Ford Motor Company and the Green New Deal uh, coming in with electric cars. I mean, it just seems to be corporatism more than conservatism. And I hear this thing's going to be 20, 25% bigger than last year's budget. Thank you very much. And if you have another hour, I'll give a detail. But just I can tell you this fast, I totally oppose the suggestion that 500 million tax dollars would go to a woke NFL team in Nashville, Tennessee uh, for their new stadium. The stadium's 20 years old. That's a business 
organization, right? When you've got a team, you've got decisions, you have expenses, and this isn't asking a new company to come to Tennessee. And I think 500 million is an egregious amount of money to give to a company to come to Tennessee. I was one of four senators that voted against the Green New Deal, uh, UAW, International Corporation deal back in uh, last October at the special meeting. So I voted against that, but in this budget, we are looking at now it's been raised to 52.8 billion, I believe, because the governor's also proposing about 17 million, million for a racetrack in Nashville, 500 million for the Titan Stadium remodel or rebuild. Some more money is a million here, a million there, a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon you're talking a 25% increase in the budget, which also, if y'all remember, uh, Senator Copeland from the Chattanooga area years ago, it's history now, I guess, but he created the Copeland cap where the what we would do in the state budget could not exceed the growth in personal income in the state of Tennessee. So you couldn't grow the government faster than the personal income was growing of Tennesseans. We really were sweating bullets several years ago because we might've busted the Copeland cap by 3.6%. This year, it would be 25%. That's egregious, <clears throat> we can't do that. Um, and that's not the place of tax dollars. Think about what a $250 million fiscal note on three months of tax abatement on gasoline would be. That's $250 million that would stay in the pockets of Tennesseans who are paying to go to work, to, to do the things that we have to do on a day-to-day -day basis. But instead, we're getting a 30-day, four-cent cut on groceries, 4% on a dollar. And that's, that's not very much at all. But when you look at saying, we're gonna give this much to rebuild a football stadium, on our constitution, on our state seal, I think it's up over my back there, you can't really read it, but ag uh, we're agriculture, of course, but education, transportation, and safety. Those are the things that Tennessee is supposed to provide. Nowhere does it say football. Nowhere does it say football. And a sport like that is a revenue generating machine. That's not the responsibility of the taxpayers. I think the state has a fiduciary responsibility to all the small businesses. 80% of your sustainable growth will come from the maintenance and growth of small businesses in Tennessee. They took a hit during the last two years. They were told to shut down during the last two years. Many of them are struggling to stay afloat and to grow or to, to stay viable. They're not sustainable right now. What could a grant program based on merit that they would apply for a grant to show specifically how this amount of money would help us get over this hump? I would much rather invest in Tennesseans who have already been contributing to our taxes and our jobs to be able to get some helping hand, not a hammock, not a, not a bed to lay down on, but a helping hand to pull them back to where they were prior to the last two years. Uh, I think that would be an, a, 
a way we could spend some of the excess money we have right now. But we've got to remember, a lot of that money is monopoly money. It came from Washington, D.C., and they're printing it as fast as we're talking. And we are right now in inflation, the cost of food, the cost of gas, the cost of so many things. We don't know where we are in world peace right now. We have a border that's wide open, that's creating a lot of issues. We're now hearing them tell us, uh, you might have to keep wearing a mask because you know COVID. Well, no, we're done with COVID. We're done with COVID. And they created that fear situation. But Tennesseans and other Americans, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. We're, we're not going down that road again. We're not gonna play those games. Because Brandon, do you know, while all of us lost loved ones, friends, neighbors, because they weren't allowed to be treated early with COVID. Do you know what the increase in the death rate was in 2021? How much? There was no increase. We were quote unquote in an unprecedented panic uh, pandemic. Well, it was unprecedented in as much as there was no difference before, you know, a third of the population or a, a tenth of the population but there was no increase in deaths because CDC at one point did admit that they were counting everything as a death of COVID when it might've been an associated comorbidity, but not the cause. There was still cancer. There was still heart issues. There was still a pneumonia. There were still other things, uh, accidents, car accidents. And some people had said they put down COVID as the cause or someone killed in a car accident. So they were attributing everything to COVID when in fact it wasn't. So we've got to be smart. We've got to be frugal right now. I don't think, I would say we shouldn't spend like a drunken sailor, but I wouldn't want to insult the sailor. Uh, <laughs> I, I think they have more uh, self-control than is being shown in this budget. And the TISA over education, an additional billion there. Um, there is no evidence that, <clears throat> excuse me, that that money will not be aggregated. The LEAs are going to have to aggregate the money, and to say this is for Susie Brown and this every down to the dollar has to go to Susie, or this is for Tommy, and th that that's optics and a deceptive narrative. Well, I think it, yeah, I'm with you on this. You know, I look at this situation with all this hooray over the funding formula. And I'm like, if you're a kid that's in my school district where the schools are so dangerous and there's drugs and there's teenage pregnancy and there's shootings in the parking lot and I can't send my kids there. Um, you know, Governor Lee campaigned on school choice is one of his major platforms. I don't have any. The only school choice I have is move to a better zip code. And yeah. that's it. That's the, it's the school choice of money. And um, the only thing that's going to get these kids out of, and, you know, we had a school choice bill in the education committee that basically said, if you, if you're just in the bottom 10%, well, if only 25% of kids can read and you're in the bottom 10%, you're in a school that's probably got a reading rate of about two to 5%. Yeah. And, and Republicans <laughs> who say they care about kids wouldn't even pass that thing to let the people in the bottom of the barrel have a chance out. And they got these optics with these funding formulas. I mean, really, if we were ever going to put kids first, there's 
there's a thousand things we could do it, but shuffling the numbers around uh, aren't it. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk your head off here now. What what do you think else? Do you think Tennesseans need to know about in this session? And then uh, tell us how people can stay in touch with you and keep up with you. Um, the the SJR, if they can call the Department of Health, I mean, not the Department of Health, excuse me, maybe they should lobby through that one, though. That's They're already telling me they need to work with me on that Senate Joint Resolution that would allow the people of Tennessee to put a constitutional amendment that gives them their medical freedom, that secures it, uh, since it doesn't seem to be secured right now. So let people know about that. Uh, and just to let you know, too, that last week I did, I think it was last week, I got passed uh, 1197. That was a bill where uh, the state cannot prevent houses of worship from being able to meet during any time of pandemic, any time of, of emergency, natural disaster, anything. The state cannot shut down a church. And, and I think that that's what our first amendment says. The chairman of that committee said, oh, but Senator Bowen, that's not fair because people couldn't go to football games and soccer games. And I said, Chairman, thank you for making the difference with a distinction. Those have no First Amendment protection. Our founding fathers knew how important believers gathering together, particularly in a time of crisis, is important. So that bill we did get through. The House passed it last year. I was able to get it through the Senate this year. Uh, the medical freedom, the parental rights, we're going to bring it back next year. Terry Lynn and I are going to to write it again and we're gonna dare the Department of Health to walk through our door. Um, we're gonna think about this midterm election coming up. Everyone needs to find good solid conservative candidates for whatever and they need to get behind them and help them get elected, go to the polls. That's gonna make a huge difference. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else in particular um, I'm writing one bill that says, if you get an enhanced permit, rather than having to go back eight years, that what you pay for it will be a lifetime uh, permit. It, you know, They're doing a four-year check on whether you're still able to have it. So the, the fiscal note, they said, that'll cost the state over $3 million if we do that, Brandon. Well, that's a fee. The fee's supposed to go for work delivered and service delivered. If they're not delivering work and delivering service, guess what? There's, they're not making money, but they're not losing money because they're not doing anything. So I'm going to have to fight that fiscal note tomorrow um, in another committee, in the finance committee. Um, it, those are just the things that are going on. I have my assistant, Claudia, sitting right across from me. What's one thing, Claudia, that you think I should really stress right now can you think of anything in particular like um, the transgender bill that oh the transgender about. bill absolutely i have an excellent bill that will protect children through 10 or 5 uh 10 or 5 is when you have gone through puberty uh 10 or 1 you're like 8 years old 10 or 2 10 or 3 10 or 4 then 10 or 5 that person at that point actually understands and has the hormones working that let them know you're a male you're a female. That is known through your DNA and through your external appendages at birth. But the DNA in your body is set. God has a plan for every one of us. And he determined that as he knit us together in our mother's wounds. So for those people who tell little children, as we saw in Florida, the kickback from that, the 
uproar from the LBGQRSP community that they cannot talk about transgender in grades K through three. Why in the world would they be? That shows us what is really taking place in our public schools. They're confusing the children when the children are not asking questions, but they're giving them answers to things that are totally irrelevant and totally inappropriate for them to do. So my bill just said that there could be no hormonal or surgical alteration of that child until after 10 or five with, with the doctor and, and the parent conceding, okay. But at that point, they would be over 18. They would be 18 to 21. I was told I couldn't present it in health. There were some questions. I tried to work with them before it was time to present it. I was told it would die in committee. So just like any other bill, you don't want it to get the stigma of having been killed in committee. Next year, we're gonna need parents. We're gonna need the American um, Academy of Ethics in Medicine. They supported my bill and they got the word out, but evidently not enough. And they were willing to send doctors to speak on my bill. But when you're told that it can't even be heard because there's some concerns from the health committee. And I tried to, to not be contentious and work with them, but next year we're gonna have the bill and uh, here we come ready or not, it's gonna be presented because we found out that these children are being confused at early ages. And if they submit to any medical intervention, hormonal or surgical, Brandon, they have burned a bridge that can't be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. And they will go through their precious lives maimed and confused. And people who are trans, which is really only 0.04% of the whole population, although now you would think it's some every other person, and it will be if they recruit the children. They can't, the children aren't birthed that way, but they are recruited to that ideology. If they do that and start maiming these children before a child even really understands, ooh, I, you know, I, I'm attracted to women. I am a man and not, I chose to be a girl and now it's too late for me to be the boy that I know I really am. <clears throat> All of that, we've got to get that stopped. We've got to protect the children and we're, we're going to have to ha have people calling in and willing to come up and lobby the different senators on the different committees to help the people because it's a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And I think this pandemic has shown us that we can organize and we, we can get together and we can make a huge difference. So those are things that transgender bill is certainly something we'll need your help on. And that's something that my bill was patterned after Arkansas and North Carolina, both passed their bills last year. I hate to think that North Carolina and Arkansas are more conservative than Tennessee when it comes to taking care and protecting our children. Um, and then there's some other bills um, that we're gonna bring back up next year, the federalism and the uh, medical cannabis. Now that might raise some eyebrows, but um, 38 states have passed medical cannabis. Now Tennessee, I think has a very bad medical cannabis bill that they're looking at this year. 
that uh, will only take place when it's taken off schedule. And when that happens, medical cannabis, which is a legitimate medical benefit that has been researched around the world and only in America could you only research for the dangers, not for the benefits. But it is a natural product. And in America right now, Big Pharma's trying to take it over because Fauci had a patent to research it when nobody else did. So they had patent number 6,660,157, I believe was the patent number. They had it from 23, excuse me, from 2003, 2019. Then they gave it over to a private company, Kenna Life Sciences out of New York, which was a front company that Fauci was using to do research. They came up with a lot of synthetic products. In 2020, they took that list of synthetic products to Wuhan, China. Have you ever heard of that? And uh, they got it uh, approved there. So what we would be getting would be synthetic product out of communist China from big pharma that could be dangerous. And we don't want that. That's, that's worse than anything. So those are kinds of things we're looking at. We're looking at things that can actually benefit patients that are affordable, that are regulated from seed to sale and tracked from seed to sale and um, would provide the medical benefit that 30 others eight other states are providing to people. My bill did pass. It passed in Alabama, Brandon, uh, last year. They saw my bill online and they asked if they could carry it down there and I was thrilled. So last June, I was invited down to Alabama when the governor signed my medical cannabis bill into law <laughs> in Alabama. Uh, <laughs> Well, if you can't get it passed here, Janice, you can go back to my original home state of 20 years ago and maybe uh, Kay Ivey, and, and who had her own issues uh, regarding medical freedom down in Alabama. I've got some, I, you know, I keep up still a little bit down there and a lot of friends that are still politically engaged. But uh, I want to close out here just by telling you, I appreciate what you, Terry Lynn Reaver, Dennis Powers, uh, Mark Pody, uh, a lot of other folks I, I appreciate. Kelly uh, Hensley. Yeah, I pre and I appreciate, you know, and, and I have, um, you know, I'm, we may argue on certain things, but I immediately, it's all about policy with me. So I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about this policy, but as soon as the policy's over, if you want to run something else that's conservative, I'll forget about that yesterday because today's today. And uh, there's a lot of folks that have tried to help on legal immigration that I had, you know, a, a few uh, choice words with about uh, policies regarding medical freedom. A lot of people were slow to that ship. You were not. Uh, but I thank you. And what I, I, I term the Freedom Caucus, I hope that y'all formalize that up in Nashville. I think it would do nothing but good things to formalize a Freedom Caucus in both the Senate and the House up there. Uh, but if it weren't for a handful of, of, of really conservative Republicans, and in particular rural uh, Republicans mm -hmm. up in Nashville, uh, we would be in trouble. I mean, we're already mainly more corporatist than conservative, but the remnant of conservatives up there in Nashville, or you're really the, the first and in many cases, the last defense that Republicans that are conservative have. So I'll leave you with the last word. Tell people how to reach you, how to find you, how to follow you. Thank you. Well, uh, they can reach me at Senator uh, S-E-N-J-A-N-I-C-E.B-O-W-L-I-N-G at capital, C-A-P-I-T-O-L.T-N.G-O-V. 
Uh, I do not do Facebook. That is a, a bad organization. And so, uh, and I had found that they typically will put trolls on it that just blow up messes all over it rather than letting it be really used to communicate. So with me, a phone call to my office uh, or an email to my office and you have my personal cell number, you can give it to anybody you think would really want to use it. <laughs> I will, well, I'll, I will keep, that. I would, before I did that, I would, uh, I would let you know, uh, cause they're, they're, you know, everybody wants to talk about something, uh, it, as you know, being in politics, but, uh, again, thank you for all that you've done. Uh, and I would, uh, I'd love to see you, uh, one day, uh, leading the Senate because we need somebody that, that is a little bit closer to the constitution than the corporations. And, uh, I think you would be great. And I ho hope I get to see that in my lifetime and yours too. Uh, and I thank you again for being on the program, Janice. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you and your audience. Thank you. All right, guys, this is Brandon Lewis with the Tennessee Conservative. For more programs like this, uh, do go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Tennessee Conservative. Uh, you can also go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com. Do hit that red support button if you appreciate what we do. Until next time, I'm Brandon signing off.